Welcome again to our Wednesday Night Fellowship. My name is John, I'm the Campus Minister for RUF at UVM. Uh, this semester in RUF, it's all about relationships. Uh, we said at the outset that the quality of our life is best measured by the quality of our relationships. Relationships that Jesus has come to make new and whole and right again. Uh, these are relationships with God, with one another, with ourselves, with the world. Uh, last week, uh, we took a, a good look at ourself, uh, sort of figuring out how do we relate to our, our identity, our sense of self uh, and self-worth. And what we learned last week is that when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, God gives us a new name. He gives us a new identity. He calls us child, right? beloved, mine. Uh, and tonight, uh, I want to talk about becoming what we are called. How do we relate to our growth? Uh, how do we grow up uh, in these identities? Uh, and to help guide our discussion, I want to look at a passage from the book of Ephesians, which was actually, first of all, a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a church uh, in the city of Ephesus. So we're going to pick up at chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse 1. We'll put it up here on the screen for you. There's also some free Bibles over there if you'd like to take one home with you. Um, also on your cell phone is a good place to download a Bible app if you want like to follow along there. But this is Ephesians 5, chapter 1, or excuse me, Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 14. It says there, be Im- Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that's an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Uh, This concludes our reading uh, for tonight. Uh, This is God's word, not my own. So let's pray and ask that we'd help us all to understand it better. Father in heaven, thanks for bringing us together uh, tonight on this Wednesday. Uh, Lord, thank you for speaking, for not remaining silent, for wanting to reveal yourself to us. I pray, Lord, you would, by your spirit, help us to do that. Uh, Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that's ready to receive and believe. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God gives us a new name. How do we become what we are called? How do we grow up as dearly beloved sons, dearly beloved daughters of our kin? Well, there are three things uh, that we learn from the passage tonight. The first is that Christian growth has a point. Uh, The point of our growth is to become more like Jesus. Secondly, uh, Christian growth is a process. And thirdly, Christian growth takes place in the light. So Christian growth has a point. It's becoming more like Jesus. It's a process. 
and it has a place, right? We grow in the light. The first point that I want to look at tonight is this, the, the Christian growth, uh, the point of it is Christ-likeness. We kicked off our sermon series this semester by looking at a passage from Genesis 1, verse 26. There God says, let us make mankind in our own image, after our own likeness. The very first thing that we are called, the very first name that is given us, is found on page one of the Bible, it's image bearer. Right? You are one who bears God's likeness. Now this irrevocable fundamental fact of life ought to change the way that you see yourself. It ought to change the way that you see others around you. It ought to change the way that you engage with this world. Right? You are an image bearer of God. You enter this world with intrinsic dignity and worth, but also a profound sense of purpose. You are here on planet Earth to make visible an invisible God. You're made to know him and to Show a watching world who he is and what he is like. And not just you, me and us all together, right, doing this. Made, as our passage puts it tonight, right, to image God or to imitate him as dearly beloved children. This is the point of our creation and it is the point of our salvation, of our restoration. And God knows we need it. Right? Our lives were meant to tell the truth of who God is and what he is like. But when I survey my life, or when I survey yours, what I see is complications. There is beauty in your life to be sure because you are made in the image of a beautiful God. But there is also a lot of brokenness and loneliness and pain. Right? Something is not right. Something has gone wrong. Instead of loving others, you and I turn inwards and we seek to serve ourselves. Instead of building other people up, we tear them down through sarcasm and gossip. Instead of resting in our God-given identity, image bearer, child of God, beloved mine, we try to make a name for ourselves, vainly trying to prove ourself or our self-worth. Instead of living like beloved children, we turn our backs on God and we run away from him and we grow up outside the confines of his home. Spiritual orphans who do not know our heavenly father. And because we have all done this in degrees, we don't know him like we should and consequently we don't show him like we should. This is the situation that Jesus has come to fix and to restore. See, when you run far away from God, God sends his son to run after you. When you hid from God, God the Father sent the son to seek you and to find you and to carry you back home. Jesus has come, sent from the Father to reconcile us to God. To make spiritual orphans sons and daughters again. Now the Bible uses the language of adoption to communicate this saving, reconciling work of God in our lives. Right? John 1 reads, To all who did receive him, who received Jesus, who believed in his name, the Father gave the right to become children of God. 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Galatians 4 reads, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 1 John, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. There's many other passages like it. Right? God wants to adopt us back into the family, to turn spiritual orphans, those men and women who don't know God, who don't know their father, to adopt us into his family that we might know him and to show him once again. Like, Why does God go through all the trouble of seeking out sinners and saving the lost and reconciling us to God? Well, the answer is nothing less than our full restoration so that we might become what we were always meant to be and that we might do what we were always meant to do. Jesus reconciles us to his and now our Father so that we might relearn who he is and what he is like. That we might relearn what he loves and what he hates. What makes him laugh and what makes him cry so that we can know him and show him again. Right back at home in our Father's house, soaking up his love so that when others come into contact with us, they might get an experience of it as well. This is the point. It's why our passage tonight begins with the word, therefore. In some ways, it's saying, in light of all that has come before this, if you read back Ephesians 1-4, to in light of all that Paul has said, in light of all that God has done, right? be this and do this in that order. Imitate God as dearly beloved children. Become what you were called. Right? You were made for this and you were saved for this. In the words of one theologian, Jesus did not come to make us Christian. Right? Jesus came to make us fully human. To make us fully human again. Like, well, what does a fully human life look like? Look at Jesus. Right? He's the perfect image of God. He's the perfect image bearer, right? To see Jesus is to catch a glimpse of who God is and what he is like. To see Jesus is also catch a glimpse of who we are, what we were supposed to be like. All that is to say, if you want to know what it means to be fully human, if you want to know the kind of person God is making you to be, restoring you to be, look to him. And Jesus is not just the owner-occupier who, uh, who bought your broken-down house of a life He's not just the architect, engineer, fixing it up again. He's also the blueprint, the master plan, the direction or goal that this whole renovating work is heading in. This brings me to point number two. Growth into Christ-likeness. Becoming what we are called, right? A beloved son, a beloved daughter. This is a process You know, home renovations take time and life renovations take a lifetime. We don't become like Jesus at the snap of the fingers or at the wave of a wand, right? Our growth is a walk. It's a process. Two times in the passage that I read for you tonight, uh, Christian growth is likened to a walk. We see that in verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And we see it again in verses 8, 9, and 10. 
walk as children of light, and try to discern what is pleasing uh, to the Lord. Okay. Are becoming more and more like Jesus, Christian growth, right? it's a walk, it's a process. And it's sometimes boring at times. It's not a hop, it's not a skip, it's not a jump. It's a walk, which means it's one foot in front of the other. Small steps that taken, to add, that taken together add up to a walk, even a journey. Now, it's been a while since you learned how to walk. And because it's, that was a long time ago, you've probably forgotten how hard it is at first uh, to do. A lot goes into learning how to walk. Uh, there's a lot of balance as we shift weight from one leg to the other, and our mind has to sort of send new messages to our muscles, sort of coordinating them. It's difficult. Now, for the most part, you're all pretty good at it by now. Uh, but you didn't start out that way. Like learning to walk took a lot of patience and it took a lot of practice. When you were first learning how to walk, you fell down a lot. And you still do sometimes, especially when you're walking up the stairs at the Davis Center. I do as well. You will tonight as you're trying to walk home in the ice, right? But in the beginning, as you were first learning, you were falling down all the time. You were knocking things over. Uh, you were sometimes hurting yourself, maybe banging your head on a living room table or, I don't know, scraping up your knee on some rough floor. What kept you going? Like, why didn't you quit? Now, I can answer that question for you with the authority of a young dad who just watched his daughter learn to walk two years ago. The memory's still fresh in my mind, fresher than yours, Okay. The first reason why you didn't quit walking, even though it was painful at first, and as painful as it can be sometimes as you trip up the stairs at the Davis Center, is that walking beats crawling. The pain of walking is less than the pain of crawling. Walking may hurt, but crawling hurts more. That's reason number one. But the second reason you kept going and you didn't quit is really thanks to the encouragement that you drew from your mom and dad. When you were learning, to, talk, or learning to, to walk and taking those first baby steps, do you know where your mom and dad were? They were beside you. Right? They were there with the video camera out, and they were clapping and they were singing your name, maybe with tears in their eyes as they were looking at you, coming towards them. And they were cheering and they're saying, you're doing it, you're doing it, keep going, keep going. That's right. You know what happened when you fell? Do you remember? Of course you don't. It was a long time ago. But I remember. This is still a memory fresh in my mind. Do you know where your parents were when you fell? Again, they were there right beside you. And they, they were there to pick you up and to kiss your knees and to kiss your cheek. And they told you, not only was that awesome, but that you are awesome. And they put you back on your feet again and they held their arms out wide and they said, come to mama, come to papa. And this is how you learned how to walk. Bathed in kisses and showered in praise, you discovered how to put one foot in front of the other. Learning how to walk the Christian walk is no different than this. It is a process that takes a lot of patience. 
and it takes lots of practice. Learning to walk in love as Christ loved us, learning how to walk in light, learning how to walk as a child of God, it can be painful at times, especially at the beginning. You're going to fall down and you are going to fail a lot. But keep going. I do not quit because your father is with you and he's for you. He's got the video camera out and he's filming you for all of his friends, right? To show them how cool you are and how great you're doing, right? He is not screaming at you or shouting at you being like, what's the matter with you? It's so easy. Just do this, right? That's not how he acts. That's not what he says. He's clapping and he's singing your name. He's saying, I'm so proud of you. You took your first step. You put two and two together, right? Or one foot in front of the other. That one step has turned into two. You're making progress. I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad that you're trying. He's there to dust you off, to kiss your knees, to tell you that you are doing awesome. Right? This is who God is, and this is what he is like. This is his heart for you as you learn the Christian walk as you fall down and fail many, many, many times, there to pick you up again. Knowing him, knowing his heart for you is what will empower you to go the distance and really to complete your journey. This brings me to our third and final point. The point of Christian growth is to become more like Jesus, right? God is at work in our lives, making us become more and more like him, more and more fully human, Image bearers, imitators of God, dearly beloved children. That's the point, right? But this is a process. It takes time, takes patience, takes practice. It's a walk, right? Not a hop, skip, or jump. Point number three, Christian growth takes place in the light. Just as plants don't grow well in the dark, right? We don't either, Plants grow in the sunshine, and the same truth applies. We do too. We grow in the sunshine, or if you like, the S-O-N shine, right? It's a variation of spelling. We grow in the light. For this last point, I want to focus on the last seven verses of our passage, verses 8 through 14. Here's what it says. I'll read it again. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light and the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Okay. When Paul says... Walk as children of light, and then says to expose unfruitful works of darkness. He's not saying that we need to expose other people's darkness so much as that we need to expose our own. That's an important point. Whatever we bring to light gets turned to light, is what he says in verses 13 to 14. And I know that the logic of these verses can sound confusing. The way it's written is a little bit strange. But actually, the logic is pretty straightforward and simple to understand, uh, simple to grasp. 
Essentially, what he's getting at is you cannot fix what you do not see. So bring it to the light. Whatever gets revealed is what gets healed. Whatever gets revealed is what gets healed. I want you, you can seek me after the sermon, and I can draw a diagram for you if you like that illustrates the point I'm about to make pretty well. But there are certain things about you that you know and everybody else knows. We would call that public knowledge. And it's in this space of public knowledge uh, that we grow. It's in this light box, as it were, that we really grow. However, there are other dimensions to our life. Uh, There's the stuff that you know but no one else knows. We call those secrets. Your addiction, right? Your eating disorder, your cutting or suicide ideation, your post-traumatic stress, your depression, the stuff that you know about but no one else knows, right? This is stuff that sort of exists in the shadows. There's another shadow side to your life. This is the stuff that everybody else knows about you but you don't know. We call these blind spots. In this category, we might put your, your drinking problem or your workaholism your judgmentalism, your slavery to your cell phone, your nail-biting or your backbiting, your pettiness or your flakiness. See, there's public knowledge. There's the blind self. There's the the hidden or secret self. But then there's another category, too. We would call this maybe the great unknown. This is stuff that you don't know, others don't know, but God only knows. Right? This is in the realm of mystery. Um, The goal is to shrink the shadows, to uncover the unknown by bringing all of our life into the light. How do we live more and more of our lives in the light? Well, the answer to that is through our relationships. See, the Bible is not a self-help book and Christianity is not a Lone Ranger religion. We grow into Christ-likeness over a long period of time, and we do so in the context of the light, in the context of loving, supportive, life-giving, and life-saving relationships. Uh, At a marriage retreat that Megan and I went to two years ago, our counselor told us, and I quote, you will never grow in an area of your life that someone else doesn't know about. You will never grow in an area of your life that someone else doesn't know about. In order for you to overcome your secret struggles, you need to share them. You need to bring them into the light. Which is to say, you need family, friends, pastors, and counselors. People who love you and people you love and who love you back. People who are safe with your secrets, who will help you shoulder your burdens, and who can connect you with others who can offer to help. You will never grow in an area of your life that someone else doesn't know about. Furthermore, you need the same sorts of people to give you feedback, to expose your blind spots. Hopefully, you have some people in your life, family, friends, your pastor, your mentor, that you can ask this question to. 
What do you know about me that I should know about me but don't? What do you know about me that I should know about me but don't? Do you have people in your life that you can ask that question to? Who can speak truth and love into your life? You see, if we shrink the secret shadows by talking about our problems with others, sort of sharing our secrets, bringing them into the light, we shrink the other shadow side of our life, right? the blind self, by soliciting feedback, by asking for our friends and family and pastors and counselors to say, what do you see that I don't see? This is the other way that we bring more and more of our life into the light. Again, you cannot fix what you do not see. Finally, there are parts in your life that are truly in the dark. You don't know it. Other people don't know it. Only God knows it. The way to shrink this box is really in conversation with God through prayer. Psalm 139 is a great example. David begins this prayer by saying, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And it goes on for some time, but he concludes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, show me more and more who I am, God, the good as well as the bad. Expose it all so that I can live more and more in the light. Search me and show me so I can be and become what I am called. A child of God, a child of light, dearly beloved, right yours. The point of the Christian life is to grow. And it is to grow into Christ-likeness. And this is a process, friends. And it takes place in the light. In the context of our relationships. Jesus loves us enough to meet us where we are at. And he loves us enough not to leave us there. Let's pray.